It is another edition of Making Money with Ron Hebert, the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, on the show, we like to provide a little financial literacy. That's one thing which we, we endeavor to do. We also like to look at different sectors of the market where maybe you think, gee, I'd, I'd like to learn more about that and maybe invest in it. And one of the areas we're going to talk about in that regard is the shipping industry, which is when you think about it, you know, you look at a at a map of the world, if you, you or if you look at a globe, you know how much water there is on planet Earth. Things have to move over that water, and that's where shipping comes in, right? Yeah, you know, literally eighty percent of uh, global trade is transported over sea, and so you, given the scale of human consumption, this requires an enormous number of shipping containers as well as ships and ports. So this is an enormous industry. You know, you look at 80% of the things you bought this year, uh, and on average, that would have been coming to you by ship. So it's a, it's a huge industry that most people don't know very much about. And so we thought we'd devote a show to telling you who the major players are, what your investment options are, uh, some of the big trends that are happening in the shipping industry, which will affect its profitability over the years. So just give you a macroeconomic big picture view of the entire sector. I saw a little thing just anecdotally here, reading through some stuff yesterday. <laughs> Somebody was holding a container of pears. A little plastic, like a single serving of pears. And it said, grown in Argentina, packaged in Thailand. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But they had to ship them over there and then ship them back. But that's how commerce works sometimes, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, if you look at the major players, Gord, there's really two metrics that uh, look at, the ind- you look at the industry as a whole that kind of uh, set them apart in their ranking. And the first is the number of ships they own, and the second is their total shipping capacity. And this is measured in what's called TEUs. And, of course, if you watch the financial news, they talk about TEUs. And, and so what does that mean? Well, it means 20-foot equivalent units. So most of these containers are 20 feet long. And so it's how many of these uh, TEUs, or 20-foot equivalent units, that they can put on a ship. And a TEU is based on the volume that a 20-foot long shipping container, you know, all the stuff you can push inside before you slam the door shut. Okay, so I, I think one of the big players, and if you, as I say, if you stand by a railway track and watch these, these shipping containers go by... You see, you know, China overseas shipping, but one of the big ones, and you see the letters a lot, MSC. Are they are they the big player? The MSC is pretty much tied with Maersk, and Maersk is a Danish company. Captain and MSC, Phillips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And MSC is a Swiss company, and you often wonder, well, how could the Swiss, which is a landlocked country, uh, Switzerland, how could they be such big players? But each of them has 4.3 million of these uh, TEU units, and uh, Maersk has 718 ships. And MSC, which is just making an acquisition, but before the acquisition, they had 626 ships, and they're the two biggest by far. And you know, you'd think of the Asians that they would be the biggest players in this sector, but they're not. But yet, yeah. 
overseas shipping is, is, is owned by the Chinese government, I believe. I stand to be corrected yeah. on that. But Maersk, yeah. and, Maersk and, and, and these are privately held companies, right? They're public. Maersk is a publicly traded company, and so we're, you know, we're moving on here. We're looking at uh, investment options in the sector, and as you uh, very poignantly said, Gord, that a lot of the really big players in this sector are are private companies that are owned by typically government, but there are some public uh, players, and uh, as we said, MSC and Maersk. Are the are two big ones. So if you're looking at a stock to invest in, Maersk is uh, a good play on global shipping. At the time of this writing, Maersk, which has a symbol of AMKBY, and they trade on the NASDAQ, is Denmark's third largest company by market cap. The firm was founded in 1904, and that makes it 118 years old. It has a PE of two and a yield of 16. And I will caution you, Typically, in the cycle, when the yields get really, really high and the PEs get really, really low, it generally means you're at the top of the market. You've got to be very careful when you're buying these uh, that have really high yields because typically if, 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 the, if you go through a global recession, things slow down, they typically cut their dividend. So that's a global company. Let's talk about a U.S. company. Who would we like down south of the border? Well, Matson is a name that you can look at, M-A-T-X. The United States is not a, a shipping superpower by any stretch of the imagination. They buy a lot of stuff, but it's generally um, brought to them on, on foreign ships. But Matson is a Pacific-focused shipping company that provides links between the U.S. mainland and basically Hawaii and Alaska as well as some interstate transportation services. And here again, this whole uh, sector is generally pretty cheap. They've got a PE of three and a yield of 1.5%. Do Canadians play in this market? We must in some way. Yeah. In in fact, the the biggest player uh, in domestic-owned companies is a company called Algoma Central. And their symbol is ALC. They trade on Toronto. Algoma Central owns and operates a fleet of uh, bulk and liquid tankers on the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Waterway in Canada. They've got a PE of 6, and uh, they've got actually got a pretty impressive yield of 4.3%. So those guys are, are the major publicly uh, traded shipping company in Canada. Container leasing. Somebody has to make these containers. I mean, they're everywhere, right? And uh, you see them piled up in yards. And people are building homes with them. And all kinds of things are going on. So somebody make these in the beginning that you could think about using as an investment? Well, the problem with uh, containers is once you buy them, you've got a whole bunch of them. And sometimes the demand for your shipping is higher and sometimes it's lower. So if you have a company that does leasing, when demand is high, you can, you can lease them, but you don't have to put out the capital outlay to own them. And so uh, Textainer is the world's largest owner of containers used in international shipping. Uh, it trades on uh, the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, the symbol is TGH. Textainer owns more than 4 million containers and leases them to shipping and manufacturing partners globally. they got a PE of 5 and a yield of 3. Ship leasing. 
yeah, one buying one of these vessels costs a lot of money. So somebody's obviously holding on to some and saying, hey, you need a ship? We have some for you. Yeah, here again, Gord, you're, if you're a company, you're gonna, there's going to be points in the cycle where you just don't have enough uh, ships to haul all the orders that you're getting in. But there's going to be times in the cycle where nobody's doing anything and your ships are all anchored in the harbor costing you money. And the more capital you've got tied up in this stuff, especially in down markets, the tougher it can be. So uh, there's a company that is called Global Ship Leasing. Uh, the symbol is GSL. And they're a British company. They trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And they own a fleet of 65 container ships. And they charter these things out, usually over the long term. And they've got a PE of 3 and a yield of 8%. So... Uh, there's lots of ways to play this sector. Most of the ports, and which would be another way to play, but most of the ports are private. And uh, so there, there isn't any public companies that uh, I, would, I would look at. I mean, there's some bigger names like Brookfield, which has ports in its portfolio, but it's so big that ports are just a small part of what it does. I suppose looking at this sector, Ron, from an investment point of view right now, the big concern is the overlying fear in the market that we're, we're in recessionary times. And with a recession, things slow down. Maybe not as much merchandise gets shipped. Am I correct in that assumption here? Absolutely. And if you take going to get into this sector in a serious way and actually actually purchase some shares, what you want to do is take some of these names that we've talked about and bring up a 20-year chart. And when you see the price action that has taken place in some of the major recessions, like the two-year recession we had at the 2000-2002 or to early 2003, the recession we had in 2007 to 2009, uh, the recession that we're, we're going through right now, uh, you'll find that these things can really drop dramatically in price. So if you have a recession, business slows down dramatically for these guys. And so these are trading stocks. These are the kind of shares that you want to buy when the economy is rock bottom. And as it starts picking up, not only does the demand for ships increase, so the number of ships sailing increases, but the lease costs that they charge can uh, double, triple, quadruple, or even go higher. So they tend to go from feast to famine regularly. You want to buy them when they're in famine and sell them when they're doing well. The profits can be enormous, but these are trading stocks, not buy and hold by any stretch of the imagination. And there's, this is a, it's a pretty complex industry, too. I mean, you look at, if you've spent any time on the coast, let's take Vancouver as an example, and you drive around and you see some of these vessels anchored out in English Bay as an example. You look at the size of these things. These mega ships, right? These companies have realized that if they're going to get their costs down, part of the equation is getting bigger and bigger ships. And the biggest ship today that I know of is called the Everace, and it's owned by uh, an Asian company. And it has the capacity to hold 24,000 of these 20-foot containers. And to put that in perspective, Gord, <clears throat> back in the 1970s, they were building, they thought they were huge container, uh, container ships that could hold literally three to 3,500 of these 20-foot containers. So now they're building ships that are literally seven times as big as the stuff that they were putting out in the, in the 70s. Some of these ships, especially if you go near the bigger ports, 
like the uh, port, some of the some of the Chinese ports or um, Long Beach, where they can handle these big big ships. These things are enormous. That, I, that, that's hard to get your head around, really. That that size of a number um, is. Is this and what are they going to do now about the cost of running these things? Like everybody's talking about going green. Uh, these things use enormous amounts of diesel, do they not? <laughs> these things are. Uh, if you take a look at all the shipping uh, companies out there, they produce about three percent of the world's carbon emissions. And if this industry were a country, in other words, if shipping all the ships out there were a country. They would be the sixth largest CO2 emitter in the world. So uh, they're being pushed by especially <clears throat> the big Western countries uh, to quit polluting so much. In other words, the, they're, they're trying to decarbonize these ships. And so they're looking at a number of solutions. In fact, uh, fuels with less sulfur. They're looking at liquefied natural gas, hydrogens, biofuels. So they're looking at a lot of options. To, to bring down the emissions profile of these ships. But here again, that's one thing that if you're going to buy in this sector, you need to be very careful because none of these options are cheap, especially when you compare it to the, the stuff they burn, which is literally the bottom of the barrel gunk that they use in their, um, their engines to run, uh, to run the ships. And so, every option you look at is going to be considerably more expensive. So that's just one of the price drivers. You look at the price of fuel, you look at the price of converting, you've got to look at the state of the economy. You've also got to look at sanctions. You know, when we sanction Russia or, or we sanction China and, or we sanction Venezuela, uh, that has a big determinant or is a big determinant on how profitable these things are. And, you know, Certainly, the cost of converting to a cleaner fuel source is also going to be a big cost. So if you're going to invest in this sector, you want to watch these drivers or price drivers very carefully because they're going to have a big impact on the share price going forward. I guess somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you could say, well, you know, with all these fuel options, maybe we go back to the old days if something with sales on it. Boy, you have to have awfully big sales to handle 24,000 units. That's, uh, well, I don't I've, think that's I've, terribly practical. Well, at the moment, I, I probably not for the really big ones, but they have smaller ships that they've been, uh, they've been using that they have, they, they have these enormous sales on them. And of course, the sales aren't uh, providing 100% of the power, but they, they do provide enough of the power, especially when, you know, you're looking at fuel at $100 uh, to $120 a barrel that cuts their cost down dramatically, and especially for products that there isn't as big a time frame, uh, compressed time frame, where they have to, you know, like you're getting a product that has to go from China to North America, and it has to be by there early enough so it can get on shelves by Christmas. Things that have compressed time frames, eh, well, you're probably not going to use things with sales on it. But for products where, you know, if it gets here, there in a month, or it gets there in a month and a half, it's not nearly as critical. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a, a few more companies actually smaller shifts. I don't, the big ones, there's no way they can, they can use sales. But the smaller ones, certainly, uh, I think sales might be a, an option, at least not for all of the, their energy, but at least to, to partially a move the ship. 
My wife is Norwegian. I hearken back to the Viking longships and a bunch of guys with oars, right? Well, <laughs> I don't think we're going uh, hopefully there. we don't go back there. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some of the price drivers here. Obviously, the one we just talked about is a big one, the price of fuel, right? Yeah, price of fuel is a driver, and certainly sanctions are a driver, as we'd, uh, as we'd mentioned. You know, uh, you look at what's happening in, in Russia and what is pushing costs up right now is the fact that uh, anybody that's carrying Russian oil, uh, the Western insurance companies, refuse to insure them. So it just means that costs uh, go up dramatically because there's fewer uh, companies that are able to ship oil. And if you've got Russian oil, well, you know, Russia will still finance their own their own ships, but it, it, it cuts that market down and it pushes those prices up. And of course, the state of the global economy, when the global economy is in recession, Less stuff gets shipped. And, uh, you know, you look at last year with uh, oil prices going up to, well, almost $120 a barrel. Well, um, price of fuel is one of the biggest cost drivers because these ships now, you look at them, they don't have many people on board them. They're essentially run by computer. So your biggest cost is going to be your fuel cost. Yeah, that's, uh, it's hard to get your head around something that big. And I, I would think, too, that, well, I guess it's they build them longer. They don't necessarily build them wider. You'd never get a wider one through the Panama Canal, as an example, or the Suez Canal, right? We had one get hung up there a couple of years ago, did we not? We had uh, we had one get hung up in the Suez Canal for a couple of weeks, and there was one that got uh, stuck on some sand um, dunes or, or, or berms or whatever you call them going through the Suez here just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it took them a day or two to get this thing out because when they when they get their bow that far into the the sand or or the muck that's there, uh, often they don't pull out that easily. So, yeah, it's, hey, you, you uh, need a rather, rather large tug to pull something that big out of the sand. Oh yes. Yeah. So these these the the really really large ones because they're having problems getting through the Panama and they're having problems getting through. Um, typically uh, Suez and other places that's really restricted. Uh, typically, you see these guys making the open ocean crossings between Europe and, and North America or North America and Asia. Okay, so what's the final word here? What's the strategy? This is one when business is good, it's very good, right? When it's not, mm. it's awful. <laughs> yeah. It's truly awful. Shipping follows the fate of the global economy closely with its ups and its downs, and this makes shipping stocks traders to be bought at the bottom of the cycle and sold at the peaks like we talked about. Beware of high dividends because when the dividend is high, it's usually at the top of the cycle. And um, often that dividend is going to be cut. So if you see, I in my radio shows over the years, I always had people call me, I'd like to buy one of these shipping stocks because the yield's 12 or 14 or 16%. And uh, I don't think I ever saw one that was able to maintain that over 40 years. They always get chopped, sometimes uh, just uh, in half, but sometimes it gets cut entirely because they got a, they're in a cash flow crisis. So be very careful. It's usually a very good indicator of where you are in the market cycle. Buy low and then wait it out sometimes a year or more before the economy finally turns around and these companies start to turn out profits again. So if you get in at the bottom of a set of a, of a cycle, one thing that you're going to have to have uh, to make money is you have to have the patience to hold on for a while. If you expect to buy it today and flip it out by 
uh, the close of the market tonight, you're going to be disappointed with these kind of companies. So with uh, given the current state of the world economy, might be a really good time to be looking at this sector and saying, oh, you know, maybe I could buy a little of this, hang on when things start to turn, go along for the ride, and then get out of Dodge, right? That's why we've been talking about cyclical areas of the economy. We've talked about steel. We've talked about um, certainly shipping. We've talked about home builders. We're going to talk about cement here uh, in the next few weeks. These are cyclical companies that you can buy when the economy's in the tank. And if you have the patience and you buy right, you can see very significant profits on these things as the economy turns around. All right, my friend, we're back again next week with another edition of Making Money. Remember, if you have an inquiry, if there's something that we touched on here that you didn't quite comprehend and you have a question, shoot us a question, we'll answer it. Or if you have a show suggestion, always open to those. might take us a little while to get the research done before we get it on the air, but uh, give us some time. You can reach us through letsmakemoney.ca, that's our website, or through our friends at cfcw.com where the show is hosted. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.